morning again. Welcome to Missio Church. Glad you're all here. My name is Bernie. Uh, I serve as uh, one of the elders, pastors here at Missio. It's great to be able to be gathered together as God's people um, and worship our, our Lord and our Savior. If you are visiting with us, again, I want to say welcome to you. Um, hopefully you felt welcomed, um, but we are glad you are here. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm chapter 8. We're going to be continuing through our series on the Psalms called Songs of the Great King, um, and we find ourselves in Psalm 8 this morning. If you don't have one, there should be a Bible in the rack on the pew in front of you, um, and that uh, should pop up on the screen as well for you to follow along. But um, keep your Bibles open as we'll be working our way uh, through this psalm to see what the Lord would say to us this morning. Psalm chapter 8. This is God's Word. Amen. A psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the work of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Would you bow your head and again pray with me? God, we come to you now and again in this moment. Ask for your aid, your strength, your help as we come to your word. We pray that by your spirit, through your word, you would speak to us this morning, that you would show us your greatness and your majesty, that you would show us um, our own uh, failings and show us the greatness of your son, Jesus Christ. And now, Lord, we pray that um, you would be honored and glorified and lifted up in these moments. May the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our heart be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our Redeemer. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. He plays to sell out crowds from New York to Norway. Day after day, month after month, year after year, thousands of people pay a premium to line up to hear him play. I'm talking about Joshua Bell, considered uh, the greatest living violinist. And there was an experiment which he agreed to uh, be a part of in which he was placed in one of the busiest metro stations in D.C. to play and see what would happen as he sat there and played. 
And so uh, Joshua Bell, this uh, amazing talent, sat in this uh, DC metro station, apparently one with amazing acoustics, and played for just under an hour. And it was videotaped, and 1,097 people walked past directly in front of him, directly by him, as he played on his $4 million Stradivarius. 1,097 people passed by. Seven stopped, paused momentarily to listen and then quickly moved on. The case for his $4 million Stradivarius lay in front of him and he collected $32.17 from 27 different donations. I guess 20 of whom didn't even stop to listen, just tossed in some money on the way by. These people were oblivious to the greatness that they were encountering there in the midst of uh, their mundane, uh, ordinary lives. Uh, Perhaps they were just busy, like they had to get home and, and grab the kids, start dinner. Perhaps some of them were on their way to an appointment or, or on their way to work. But for whatever reason, over a thousand, 1,090 to be exact, completely missed a brush with greatness. And I think we tend to allow the things of our lives, whether it's the busyness of our circumstances or maybe it's some hardship we're encountering, but we allow the things of our lives to obscure obscure the majesty, the excellence, the grandeur, the glory of the creator God that we might recognize if we just paused, if we stopped and we reflected on what was going on around us. But instead, we we walk right on by, not giving any thought, not standing in awe of the God who made us and made everything around us. We miss countless opportunities for a brush with greatness. And Psalm 8 is an announcement to us. It's It's a call to get our attention that, hey, you have greatness in front of you. Psalm 8 is a creation song. It's actually the first song of praise that we come to. We're eight chapters in. It's the first song of praise in the Psalms. And it begins in verse 1 and ends in verse 8 with these words, O Lord, our Lord. O Lord, I am Yahweh. That's his name. O Lord, our Lord, our sovereign, our leader. How majestic is your name in all the earth. How excellent, how mighty, how glorious is your name? So the question we should ask is, what prompts David to, uh, to give this praise? What prompts David to celebrate God's glory and majesty? And we see in verses 1 through 4 that, that God's glory revealed in creation, as we've just sung about in song after song, God's glory revealed in creation prompted David's praise. Look at the end of verse one. You have set your glory above the heavens. In verse three, he's looking out at the sky, the works, he calls them, of God's fingers, specifically the night sky, the moon and the stars put there by God's own hand. Now, 
Certainly David doesn't have the aid of a telescope. He's uh, probably reflecting on night after night that he spent with his father's flocks out in the field, far away from any night pollution, and he's simply looking up at the stars and just sensing a feeling of awe for the creator of everything he sees. And when he considered everything he sees, and then he considers himself in comparison, there's this moment of insignificance. When I, when I look and consider all of this, he says, look at verse four, what is man? What is humanity that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. David felt absolutely insignificant in light of all that his eyes and his senses were able to take in, limited though that may have been. And David felt that way then, limited as he was by just what his naked eye can see. But, but now, through investigation, here in 2019, closing in on 2020, we are even more, far more aware of the vastness of God's creative activity, and thus, I think, even more aware of our own objective insignificance in the size and the grandeur of creation. For instance, we know that the sun's light, as fast as light travels, 185,000 miles per hour per, or miles per second, 185,000, that's a silly number, I don't even understand that number. As the sunlight, as fast as it travels, it takes eight and a half minutes to reach here, Earth. So on those rare days in Syracuse that we actually see the sun, we are not seeing the sun as it is in that moment. We are seeing history. We are seeing the sun as it was eight and a half minutes ago. Think about the size, the, the, the greatness of that. We know that if the sun were, were the size of an ordinary dot on an eye on this page, the nearest star to the sun, the, other, the nearest other star to the sun, would be 10 miles down the road if it were the size of a dot on an eye. David could see this, but he didn't realize the, the immense nature of it. If we could travel at the speed of light, again, 185,000 miles per second, 186,000, it would take us 100,000 years to cross our galaxy. Again, like, like, that's just a made up, like, that doesn't even compute. But this is the vastness of, and that's just our galaxy, this is the vastness of God's creative activity, and here I am, like six foot something here in this building. What am I? What am I? Almost unthinkable. God's glory revealed in creation prompted David to praise. I, I'm not much of an outdoors guy. Those of you that know me know that. And, and by much, I mean not at all. Right? But this may surprise some of you. There is one thing I enjoy doing outside. I love going to the beach. 
I don't go in the water. I don't like to dig in the sand. But I love to go to the beach. I do. I, it, it is one of the great joys in my life. I love to go to the edge of the water and stand there and listen to the sound of the waves. And I love just to stare off into the horizon minute after minute and just stare and look. And, and it's just water as far, if it's a clear day, as, I, as far as the eye can see. And I just think, how many gallons of water am I looking at? And what I'm looking at, it, like there's not even a number that you can put on this as, a, as a far as how small a percentage this is of the oceans of the world, what I'm looking at. And I, I'm led to feel how vastly insignificant I am as a creature. In that moment, I love to look out and just be, feel a, a, a feeling of awe for the creator that he made all this. He can hold all this in the palm of his hand. And I'm led to awe for the creator for his immensity, his power, and his wisdom. And so the glory and the magnitude and the grandeur of creation that causes us to feel that insignificance. If you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, you know what I'm talking about. It should prompt our praise. This is God's work. And yet, despite all the size and and the power and the magnitude of all this, despite our insignificance in comparison, the psalmist tells us this. God cares for us. For me. Six foot something in the midst of of all this. He looks down upon us with unique love. And God uses that which seems insignificant. That, that's, that's what we see again and again throughout the story of the Bible. He uses that which is looked down upon, that which is despised to bring him praise. And that's why he mentions the babbling of the, of the infant babies and, and, and toddlers. He uses even them to bring him praise, even their, their babbling talk. And that leads David to ask What is humanity? What is man that you are mindful of him? What is humanity? Some people have said, well, we're really no different than the animals around us. There's just this this great continuity. But the psalmist indicates that the creator God has a special mindfulness for humans, a unique concern for people, and the unique care demonstrated for humanity by the creator prompts, demands our praise. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. But not only does God care for such, really just such an objectively and apparently insignificant part of his creation as as we humans, the Lord grants a special dignity to us. Look at verses five and six with me. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the work of your hands. And you have put all things 
under his feet. He says, you have made him a little lower than, and the, and the Hebrew word here is Elohim. And I, I'm pointing that out because some of you, if you're using different Bible translations, you have something different here. Uh, you, the ESV says, you have made him a little lower than heavenly beings. And Elohim can mean spirit, angels, heavenly beings. But most often in the Old Testament, it's translated God. Elohim is a word for God. And perhaps for the sake of modesty, not wanting to say uh, humans are just a little lower than God, the the translators of the Greek Old Testament um, use the word angels, heavenly beings. But what follows after this? You have made him a little lower than Elohim. What follows after this might help us clarify what the psalmist is getting at. He says, Look at verse 5. You've crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. Crowning him with glory and honor, giving him dominion. A little lower than God. You see, what David is doing here is he is reflecting on God's creation blessings from Genesis 1. I want to make sure we're all on the same page here so we understand. Genesis 1, 26 through 28, says this. It should come up on the screen. Then God said, this is in the creation narrative, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. Hmm. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on earth. The earth, likeness to God, dominion, birds of the heaven, fish of the sea. It's what David's talking about in Psalm 80. He's referring back to the creation blessings in Genesis 1. David's reflecting on that and the astonishing fact that humanity is created in the image of God and has been given the privilege and the responsibility of stewarding this creation that we live in. Now, when I say image of God, immediately image brings the idea of appearance. Um, And and I do not mean when I say image of God, um, the appearance, because God is spirit and does not have a body like people. But what the image of God communicates is that humanity is not just another part of creation, but a unique, special creation, endowed with dignity, intended not only to reflect the creator, but to rule and to govern on behalf of the creator. In the ancient world, kings were said to be made in the image of God, kings who ruled. And here, this blessing is given to all of humanity, to rule and to govern on God's behalf. So we are called as humanity to to steward, to manage, to rule for the sake 
of God. It means we're to relate to God and to represent Him in this world. So what does that mean a little more? It means that, first of all, that God designed us to cultivate the natural resources He has provided for our, glory, for our good and for His glory. Right? Uh, humanity domesticates animals. That's the specific thing he's talking about here. When he says having dominion over, over fish and, and everything that roams on the earth. We domesticate animals. We, we build tools. We construct cities. We develop cultures. We produce music. And through these things that God has designed, his creative genius might be seen and people might praise him. I got to be honest, as I reflect on this passage, the thing that for me personally immediately comes to mind when I think of dominion is the medical field. And I know we have some medical students here. My son Ezra, um, not only was he born with trisomy 21 Down syndrome, but he was born with a disease called Hirschsprung's disease, which means that um, when his body developed, that the, the lower part of his intestine did not have essential nerve cells that would cause his intestines to actually function, to contract, and to work properly. So it prohibits the intestines from contracting and doing its job. So if my son Ezra had been born prior to 1950, if my son had been born 100 years ago, he would not be around. We would have gotten to hold him and snuggle him and kiss him and talk to him for maybe a few weeks. And then his little body would have just succumbed to the complications from an obstructed bowel. But late in the 1940s, in the early 1950s, a surgeon uh, intent on, on looking at this studied it and developed a, a surgery that actually corrected this. He took dominion over God's creation as Genesis 1 commanded and as Psalm 8 celebrates. Not only does God care for us, not only has he made us in his image, crowning us with glory and honor, giving us dominion over the, uh, over the world, appointing us to rule on his behalf in the, in the architecture that, that we create, in the technology that we develop, the care we provide, this dominion is entrusted to us, such a seemingly insignificant part of the creation. And so the glory of man actually leads us, should actually, we should see a glory in humanity, and it actually leads us to see the greatness of God. God's glory revealed in humanity should prompt our praise. The, the coronation of humanity by the great creator king, king demands our praise. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It was February 13th, 1945. The United States Air Force and the Royal Air Force, the Royal Air Force of the United Kingdom, February 13th, 1945, began the bombing of Dresden, Germany. 
This bombing was horrific, and it's, uh, it's considered uh, it's one of the greatest uh, demolishings of any part of humanity uh, other than Hiroshima that's ever happened. For several days, these two Air Force laid waste to Dresden, dropping untold number of incendiary bombs, not just any bombs, but these bombs uh, that would um, burn at high temperatures for an extended period of time. And the temperature in the cities, I don't know how they figured this out or how it was recorded, but temperatures in parts of the cities reached almost 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit because of these burning bombs just raining down on the city, bomb after bomb, over a thousand uh, fighter pilots flying over that city repeatedly, dropping these bombs. And one of the casualties was this magnificent 200-year-old masterpiece, the Frauenkirche, uh, a beautiful old church that actually extended uh, far back beyond the 1700s, but the beautifully domed building in its current state then was built in the early 1700s. And it was never hit. Uh, the Allies decided they were not going to hit this building, even though there were people in there. Because of the heat that surrounded it, it simply crumbled. 6,000 tons of rock from its dome crushing almost everything in it. A few, a few fragments remained, but the thing was just literally obliterated. And while the rest of Dresden was somewhat repaired, new buildings put up, the, the stones, the rubble from the Frauenkirche laid where they were for 45 years. So that if you were able to enter Germany, East Germany, uh, communist-controlled East Germany, and walk through Dresden, you would eventually walk by the Frauenkirche, which was just this monument of rubble. They actually declared it a memorial against war in the late 60s. And, and while you could walk by and see something of its grandeur and greatness, you could see beautiful colors inside that had once been breathtaking, a, a church that would make this look like a slum. It was now destroyed in rubble, corrupted, distorted, and ugly. In 1994, almost 50 years later, they started a project to rediscover and recover the church's magnificent. And, and it took almost a decade, completed in 2004, but it now stands more secure, stronger, and more beautiful than ever. You see, David has been talking about the genius and beauty of God's design in humanity. Yet the reality is, if we're honest, humanity, much like the Frauenkirche, created beautifully and wonderfully, has lost something of its magnificence. We've, we've distorted our privilege. We've distorted our responsibility as God's steward. We have corrupted God's call to dominion over creation 
The glory and honor can still be recognized. You can walk by the rubble of humanity. You can walk by the rubble of humanity in the evening news and, and, the, and the online websites, but it can only be recognized through the ruins. One biblical scholar said this, nuclear power lights up our cities, but threatens the extinction of all life. Flight conquers space, but opens new frontiers for terrorists. Beauty in art ennobles humanity, and pornography degrades it. You see, the result of sin is that we no longer fully and rightly image God. Sin has broken our relationship with, with our Creator and thus our ability to represent, to, to honor, to obey, and to submit to Him. Our rebellion means that we are no longer stewards of creation as we should be. We no longer are able to exercise dominion as we should. Humanity, as we now knew it, know it lies in ruins. And, and I mean, to go further, anybody who knows anything knows that we humans are not really in control of much around us. We don't have dominion over the world. Not everything is subject to us. Not only is there so much that we distort by sin, by our medical technologies online, there are countless things that are simply beyond our control. We can't control hurricanes. We, we feel helpless in the face of, of wildfires. Try as we might, we can't stave off death. We can't exercise dominion completely. Sin has not only corrupted us, but distorted the creation. And so our attempts at dominion are futile. So if, if this is the case, then what do we think of the psalmist's celebration of, of God's name? Celebrating God's name for his, his beautiful and genius design in humanity. What do we think of this praise? Listen to this. The incredible message of the New Testament, talked about and pointed to in the Old Testament, is that the image of God has been restored in the person of Jesus, in Christ Jesus, in his assumption of humanity, in his death, in his resurrection, we see the completion and fulfillment of what was designed in Genesis 1 and celebrated in Psalm 8. We see a greater security and beauty rising out of the rubble of humanity in the person of Jesus. Think about these truths that may help us join in the celebration that the psalmist offers. Colossians 1 15, Paul declares this, talking about Jesus. He says, he is the image of the invisible God. Going back to Genesis 1, going back to Psalm 8, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus is the true and full image of God. Jesus humbled himself by taking on humanity and perfectly lived out his calling as God's co-ruler, as his vice-regent. 
He humbled him. Think about when he's with his disciples and he's on the sea and, and there's a storm. And he says, cease, be still. And the disciples say, what is this? who is this man that even the winds and the sea obey him? Dominion. Right? And not only that, he humbled himself to death on a cross for men and women who refused to honor God as they should. He died on a cross for people who willingly broke God's law. But though he submitted himself to death, he was raised on the third day, conquering death. He's been exalted as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Talk about dominion. He exercised dominion over sin and death. And that's what the author of Hebrews tells us. The author of Hebrews is actually, was actually thinking about Psalm 8. And he writes this in Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. It says, it has been testified somewhere, Psalm 8, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. Again, here's Psalm 8 there, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. All things are in subjection to Jesus. The true man, the image of God, King Jesus reigns. Nothing, no one is outside of his control. And so we can sing with the psalmist, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Sin and death are defeated in Jesus who is the image of God. And because he is the image of God, all those who are united to him by faith are being conformed to him and are being conformed and restored in the image of God. That, that restoration of the Frauenkirche that happened, that's happening in us. We are being conformed to Jesus, our King. There's a reconstruction project at work. Ephesians calls us to put on the new self, which is being created after the likeness of God in righteousness and holiness. Colossians tells us to put away foolish, uh, foolish things and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We are being restored in the image of God as we are united to the image of God, King Jesus. God's glory most clearly revealed in Jesus should prompt our praise. The control of everything by King Jesus demands our praise. And we can join in that praise, first of all, by faith. 
We can join in this song, how majestic is your name in all the earth, by trusting in that name that is majestic. As we acknowledge our sin, the rubble and the rebellion of humanity in our own lives, while acknowledging that Jesus is who God revealed him to be in the scriptures, one who took on flesh to save fallen and ruined humanity. And so the call today, if we join him in this song, is to first of all, join him by faith. Trust him today. We sing this song as we sing, as we see and we sing his greatness, the greatness of Jesus. So Psalm 8 is this announcement. It's an announcement that we have brushes with greatness every day as we see the dominion God entrusted to humanity, the care for and the coronation of humanity by the great creator king demands our praise. But we know that this, or, this glory is incomplete now. The dominion is not total. But God's glory, most clearly revealed in Jesus, demands our praise. As, as Nate read earlier from Psalm 145, it's repeated in Daniel, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. The glory of the true man, the true image of God, Jesus Christ, leads us to see and proclaim the greatness of God. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word without which we would live in darkness and ignorance. We thank you for the work of your spirit amongst us, moving in our, our, our lives, convicting us of sin, showing us our rebellion, showing us our, our shortcomings, how we have fallen short of your glory. And yet we thank you, even now, for Jesus Christ, your Son, the true image of God who has dominion over all things. In him we can trust. When things are uncertain, when things are not as they should be, not as we want them, in him we can trust, who has an everlasting dominion, whose kingdom is forever. We thank you for giving Jesus. We pray that by your Spirit now you would give us the strength to trust, to place our hope solely, completely, entirely in him. Not in ourselves, not in our works, not in how we can better humanity, but in him alone. May we worship, may we respond 
with joy-filled giving of our lives in service to you and to our neighbor. So, Father, glorify yourself in our lives. May we see how truly majestic your name is in all the earth. May others around us see how great, how majestic your name is in all the earth. Be glorified, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.